This morning we're going to be taking just a small break from our spiritual gifts series and doing just a Father's Day message. And I uh, struggled a little bit with, with putting a title on this. I went through all kinds of them, but I settled on just being or learning how to be a dependent warrior. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Several years ago, there was a movie that was released uh, called What Women Want. And it was a comedy uh, based on a guy that got electrocuted by accident, and he was kind of a, um, kind of a cad, just a guy that was very chauvinistic and everything, and he was in an ad agency, and, and he got the ability to be able to read women's thoughts uh, around him. And it was an interesting thing, and a while back, I was working in the emergency department, and we had one of those rare moments where we had no patients. And what made it un also unusual is that I was the only male working in the hospital at that point. Everybody else was female. It was just kind of one of those weird things. The providers were female, radiology was female, lab was female, all the nurses were female. I was the only island of testosterone in a sea of estrogen. I was just the only guy there. And just a quick pro tip for you men, if you ever find yourself in this situation, it's better not to talk at all. Don't offer an opinion. Don't, don't try to join the conversation. Just smile, nod, put your headphones on, and, and, and just leave them be. And as often, what happens during these times, the subject of dating and relationships came up. And some of the women were talking about what they prefer in a man. And some of them, they like the tall guys. They, the guy has to be at least six inches taller than they are. And, you know, some women said, well, yeah, I don't care about that. But some very, very adamant, there's one woman that said, I would never date a short guy. As I'm sitting right next to her, I'm like, oh. I mean, not that I'm looking, but, you know, just in general principle. Um, some of them insisted that the guy had to be super athletic. He has to be kind of somewhere between... Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Jason Moma, who played Aquaman. Um, somewhere in there, nice cut, athletic-looking guy. Of course, he's also tall, so that makes him double worthy of dating, I guess, for the ladies. Um, other, other women said, nah, I don't care about that. Dad bods are just fine. Various habits came up. Um, one of the women said, you know, if I could do anything with my boyfriend, I'd make him quit smoking. And another woman had a, a boyfriend who chewed, and she said, yeah, I wish he would, he would stop doing that, and different things like that. And then other women say, oh, I would never use, or date a person like this, or, or who did that, or drank, or anything else. And just the different preferences that were being expressed. And when it came to personality, what do you think the personality was one of the best things a man could do for a woman? What do you think it was, would be? Exactly, make them laugh. They wanted to make the, what they wanted somebody that could make them laugh. And what was curious, I found though, is that for many of the younger women, I'm talking early 20s, early to mid 20s, they all had the same opinion of what they wanted. They wanted a guy that was kind of a bad boy. They wanted that, that kind of bad boy image. And I thought, that was, I thought that was very surprising because the woman who was most vocal about it was probably also the biggest feminist in the ER. 
always talking about women's rights, always talking about how women are just as equal as men and, and different things like that. And so that just intrigued me. So I didn't follow my own advice, and I asked, could I just ask a question about that? And she looked at me and she said, oh, yeah, sure. I said, okay, I, I just have to, be, to clarify this, because anything you say from here on out can and will be used in a sermon probably later, but I won't identify you. I said, I'm just curious about this, how you, how you um, reconcile bad boy with feminism. And she said, yeah, yeah, I could ask her anything she wanted. I said, you are probably the biggest feminist in the ER right now. And I'm not criticizing that. I think women deserve equal pay for equal work and all that kind of stuff. I said, but how do you reconcile those two things? Because they sound polar opposite. Usually when we're talking about the bad boy, we're talking about a woman or a guy who keeps his woman under her, his thumb and forces her to, to act in a certain way. And she stopped and thought about it for a moment. I thought she was going to react, you know, emotionally. But no, she actually sat and thought about it. She goes, I think the reason that I'm such a feminist is because I hate weak men. I hate having to be the one that's in charge all the time. It makes me personally feel vulnerable, unsafe, and question if that guy could ever take care of me if the stuff should hit the fan someday. And many of the other women agreed with her. One even came out and said, I'd rather have a man who might be a bad boy and even not treat me right all the time. Not talking about physical abuse, of course. Um, but somebody who just is the alpha male because I feel safe with him around. And the previous woman said, that's the problem with men today. They're all a bunch of wimps that we can push around. And unconsciously, most women hate men like that. And I know that's not all women. But with this group of women that I was talking to, that was the overall consensus. So this Father's Day, I want to explore the root of what it means to be a man. And you might think, well, this is Father's Day. Shouldn't we just talk about being a father? Well, you can't be a good man or a good father without being a good man first. So I'm going to talk to the men here, but single ladies, and all ladies really, don't check out because you need to hear about the kind of man you should be looking for if you are going to be back into the dating scene. So for a Christian, being a good man means being a dependent man. And that kind of sounds opposite of what I was just talking about, that strong John Wayne, Clint Eastwood Marlboro man riding the horse. It seems like that's, that's the woman's ideal. But really, that man needs to be a dependent man. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Because growing up, all men have, have role models. I, I, women, for that matter, too. We all have role models growing up. We all look at the heroes on TV and in movies. We have people in our personal lives that we kind of copy their mannerisms and their conduct. And I've had many male role models in my life. Some were good, some were bad, some were just downright ugly. But I thank God for my grandfather because even as a Lutheran, he showed me what being a good man was about. He had this going for him. He was a full-blooded Norwegian. Therefore, he was a good man. But today we're going to read about a man who learned how to be dependent on God in everything in his life. 
And this man had one of the best role models you could ever have. In this case, Moses. I think Moses was a pretty good role model. He gave us the whole law of God. He spent over 40 years being Moses' personal assistant and learning how to live for God, even when it made absolutely no sense to him at all. So we're going to watch a brief video this morning highlighting this principle, and it's a scene from that um, TV series I'm always talking about, The Chosen, and it shows Moses preparing the bronze serpent. And the background of this is that the Israelites left Egypt, they're in the desert, they rebelled against God, they complained, and they said it was better off for us back in Egypt. God sent a judgment of snakes among them that were killing people, and Moses cried out to God. God told him to do something very unusual, and that is to make a bronze serpent. And that's where we're going to pick up the video this morning. So I showed this video because it showed the interaction between Moses, who is a very strong man, very willful man, and Joshua to show Moses' influence on his life and how a godly influence can really change the way a person thinks. And I believe this incident, among the others mentioned, he mentioned the, the pillar of fire, the Red Sea, Meribah, um, being fed supernaturally from God, and the fact that there's a pillar of fire sitting right outside the tent there that they were talking, it really strengthened and formed Joshua's character over the 40 years that Moses mentored him. Now we're going to go into Joshua. In chapter 1, Moses is now dead. Moses has named Joshua as his successor to lead over 10 million people into the promised land. Men, just take a second. Let the weight of what has now fallen on Joshua's shoulders hit yours. Imagine being directly responsible for 10, 10 plus million souls. No more Moses to fall back on. Every decision you make can mean their lives or their deaths. Joshua has been dependent upon Moses his entire life, but now he has to be, learn to be dependent upon God alone. And this just shows how Joshua is feeling as we begin reading in Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Do not let this book of the law depart your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that you take these words and press them in our hearts, and especially the men, Lord. We have a famine of biblical manhood in our nation today. And I ask, Father, that this will feed into that, Lord, that we can restore what it means to be a godly man in this nation so that your church can rise up in power and take back what the devil is trying to steal. Lord God, we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're going to see in Joshua there are three things that God calls to do or men to do in their lives. And these three things will affect how you live, how you love, and how you parent as a godly father. And they all have to do with dependency upon God. The first thing you need to do is be strong and courageous. You see three different times in nine verses, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. You know, there's been a huge lie sold to the men in our culture. And it's been picked up largely by many of the men in the church about what it means to be a man. Unfortunately, we've started to equate meekness with weakness, of being passive and not strong. Many of the men who are like this will quote Jesus' Sermon of the Mount where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. They said, well, we have to be like that. And unfortunately, many people have used that verse and others similar to it to emasculate the men in this day. Let me, let me illustrate a little bit. I had a partner on the ambulance when I was in Kenosha who told me that he never knew which Johnny O he was going to get on shift. Johnny O is my nickname at work. And he said, sometimes it seemed I was so laid back and so passive about everything, and I didn't care where we ate, I didn't insist on doing it this way, I didn't do things like that, that it just seemed like people would walk all over me. But he said, once in a while, when it was truly an emergency, all of a sudden I would switch and insist that it has to be done this way, insist we're going to do it just like this, forcibly took charge, ran that call, but then after the call, I just went back to being laid back. And he said, you know, on one hand, you're one of the weakest guys I know. He goes, but on the other hand, you become one of the strongest guys and medics I know. He goes, it's like you have a split personality or something. I said, well... You're confusing meekness with weakness. Jesus commands me to be meek. Meekness is simply strength under tight control. It's strength under control. I said, if I didn't keep it under such tight control, trust me, I'd be the biggest jerk you'd ever want to know. Tammy will tell you that. When I forget to be meek, I can be a jerk sometimes. Oh, we will do it this way, and you don't, and you just need to. I can, I can get like that once in a while. 
Another way to look at it is this. If you went to Nevada, anybody ever seen the Hoover Dam? Did you look at it and say, well, what a weak structure. All it does is just sit there. I mean, it's a, it's a waste of concrete. I mean, what's it doing? It's just sitting there. Of course not. We don't think of, a, of the Hoover Dam as a weak structure. It's holding back millions and millions of gallons of water. I did some math about this because I'm a nerd, as you know. Hoover Dam has a constant pressure on it of 45 billion pounds of water. 45 billion. I, I, I did the math on this. That's 45,000 pounds per square foot. A weight that would crush any one of us. And that's what makes it so impressive. It may just sit there and seemingly do nothing, but it constantly holds back all that weight. And that's why people call the Hoover Dam one of the mightiest dams in the world. And that, men, is how we exercise our strength. You don't need to advertise how strong you are. Just depend on God's strength to fill you and equip you and make you strong when being strong is necessary. Another quick example. You see this a lot in men where they're like, I'm the man and this is the way we're going to do it. When I was in the Army, we had a lieutenant fresh out of um, officer training course and somehow must have been sick on all the days that they taught leadership because he had zero leadership skills whatsoever. His idea of leadership was screaming, yelling, berating, different things like that. And during a company-wide formation, he got in a very loud discussion with our platoon sergeant right in front of everybody, just, just being really demeaning toward him. And the platoon sergeant was, try was trying to hold his temper, but I could just see he's getting fired up. And he's, and he's like, Lieutenant, that's the wrong way to do it. You need to do that. And the lieutenant grabbed his collar where they used to have rankings, and he goes, I'm the lieutenant here. Well, right then, the sergeant major, battalion sergeant major, was walking by. If you don't know what a sergeant major is, that's the senior most enlisted person in the unit. Sergeant major walked by and said, Lieutenant, may I see you for a moment, please? Draw him off to the side. And he happened to come to the side of the company that I was standing and I heard him quietly say, Lieutenant, if you have to remind a person of your rank, you're not the leader. You're not leading these men anywhere. As a matter of fact, if you tell them that we're going for a march, you're just going to be bringing them for a walk because no one is going to follow you anywhere, regardless of what rank you have. And I remembered that for really my whole life because it really made me think about leadership in a different way. And it's a powerful lesson for us men. We're not the leaders, and we're not to be strong just because of our plumbing, just because of the X or Y chromosome God gave us. You're not strong because you scream the loudest, or because you, may, you might use a man's natural strength to force his will on the others around you. You're not a man because you're the most popular person. Courage isn't seen in following the latest social trends, especially the social trends that spit in God's face and on his word. Courage and strength are found in being able to keep your natural aggressiveness, your alpha male tendencies, and, and strength under control of the Holy Spirit, not caring 
what society has to say about it and caring more about what God has to say about it. If you live for the one who made you, you'll never, ever stand alone. We sing a song, give me, or take the whole world, but give me Jesus. Well, that is, if you're on God's side, you're automatically in the majority. It doesn't matter if all, the other 7 billion people on the planet have a different opinion. If you're on God's side, you're in the majority because you have the power of Almighty God standing with you. Take courage in that. In the Old Testament book of Micah, God has this to say about being a man. In Micah 6, 8, he said, I, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That's what your strength is to be used for, to help those who can't help themselves and yield and be dependent upon God and His ways so that you can show the world the source of your strength and of your courage. And the next thing that ties in with this, that shows us the next or the second way a man is to be dependent upon God, and that is to be obedient, simply to obey. God shows men the way or God shows us the way men are to be strong and courageous. Remember his instructions to Joshua when he said, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That word obey sometimes can bring up a, a negative feeling in our heart. Sometimes the idea of obedience kind of gets that natural rebellion going in us. So just in your heart, when I say this, what response comes up? If I say, obey the law, obey the police if you have an interaction with them, work it out later. Obey God's commands. Here's a really tricky one, and I did make sure that the way out here is clear before I say this one. Wives, obey your husbands. I think for many one or all of them may have some negative emotion come up. Or a negative emotion and almost discuss that other people don't think that way, that we should obey God. We see it in the news, we see it in the schools, we see it out being out in public. I have a lot of friends who are police officers. You've met one of them, he comes down every couple years. He's told me that this has been one of his last or I'm sorry, that this last year has been one of his hardest ever on the job. Almost every interaction they have with a public now turns into high drama and tense situations. And it's all because of a lack of obedience to established laws and because of the rebellious spirit that has taken over the nation. There's zero respect for lawful authority in our country today. 
And I know we want to blame the media. We want to blame the schools. We want to blame the politicians. We want to blame the day that we live in today. But the basic fact of the matter is a lot of the blame falls on the men, and especially the men of the church. Scripture is very clear when it says that judgment begins at the house of God. People say, well, there's people sinning out there. Well, sinners have always been sinners. That hasn't really gone up a lot. But when the men of the church take a back seat to leadership and obedience, chaos will always erupt in the culture. And that's much of why we're seeing what we're seeing today. Men have abdicated their role as spiritual leaders of their home and left it to the woman. And that's, let's just be frank, that's even if there is a man in the home. The truth is, strong men lead strong families. Men, if your family falls apart, God looks to you about that. And I know that's painful because in many ways with my girls, I'm in the same situation. And that's not to say that a single woman can't be a strong leader within their home. If you're a single woman, either through divorce or, or because of sin, you got pregnant, both, you know, you, you, you might be able to raise that child well. I'm not saying that. I'm not taking that away from the women. So, you know, don't yell at me for being sexist. But both the Bible and social science shows that the best way to have a stable home, a stable child, and a stable society is to have both a father and a mother married in the same home to raise the children. And I get how hard that is. I know that I know the the societal chaos that has happened in our world today. But we have to live in the church as a people that have to give an account. And men God comes to us first. Remember this from the beginning. When Adam and Eve fell, God didn't go to Eve. He went to Adam and asked what happened. And unfortunately, instead of being a man and protecting his wife, he threw her under the bus. We need to be better than that. So let me show you how. The third part about being dependent upon God and being strong and courageous is to follow what Joshua was in his heart, and that was a warrior. We need to be warriors. That is why God put testosterone in our bloodstream, is to be dependent warriors. Joshua, a warrior, the man after God's own heart in the Bible, David, was a warrior. In fact, God built the entire throne that Jesus will sit on around a man who was a warrior. In fact, consider this. Jesus, meek and mild as we see him in movies and everything, he was the ultimate dependent warrior. He took on all of hell. He conquered sin, destroyed death's power, and crushed Satan under his feet. Not only that, when he returns, he's not coming back as a meek and mild person. He's going to resemble more of a special forces guy. Tattoos on him that say, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's going to come back swinging a sword that kills all of his enemies. Men, God needs those kind of warriors to rise up in the church. In a moment, I'm going to read a section of scripture that deals with that. I'll cover it more in depth in a future message. And while this scripture 
applies to all the saints of God, I want to especially apply it to the men here. Men, God has given us armor to wear. We need to don it again in faith. We need to don it again for the mission that God has for us here on this earth. I'll just ask for all the men to rise. Whether your fathers or not, it's irrelevant. Just if you're a man, rise. And I'm going to read this scripture as we prepare to close today. And I want it to be just a call to arms, a charge, if you will. To be bold and courageous. To receive your orders from your commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. And let it fill your hearts with the manhood he has given you to be strong and courageous. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6. Men, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the dark powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled about your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. And Father God, I just want to bless every man here with a new sense of what it means to be a man in Christ. I ask, Father, that you Give them fresh purpose. Give them fresh vision. Give them a new calling on their lives to be strong in you, to be completely dependent upon you, and not be ashamed to live before the world in this way so that other people can see your work in their lives and hunger for what they have. Lord God, I just commit the men of this church to you and ask that you use them in mighty ways in these coming weeks, months, and years. The time's not over yet. We still have some distance to run. Strengthen us so that we can run with you again. I ask this in your name. Amen.